I assume that you're all out there. All I can see is a big, bright, white dot. <laughs> but, uh, it's great. Am I uh, coming through loud and clear? Okay. I'll just yell. Are we good? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'm excited to start a new series with you today. We're going to talk about owning it, uh, signing on the dotted line. Some of you, you see that image of someone signing their name, and you just break out into a cold sweat because you remember, you know, when you signed for your house the first time you did that, and, and what a gut-wrenching kind of experience that was. And, and we use the phrase, signing your life away. How many of you said that? Well, I signed my life away today. I bought a house, you know. And we say that over and over again because that's what it feels like. I'm signing my life away. Uh, and we're, so we're going to talk about just taking ownership of, of our faith. And many of you have started with the idea of ownership pretty early on. How many of you had a pet when you were a child? You had a pet, you saw the puppy, or you saw the free kitten in the box at the grocery store, and you said, Mommy, 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 can we take a kitten home? And if the answer was yes, it came along with some instructions, didn't it? Yes, you can take that pet home, but you are going to be responsible, right? You're going to clean the litter box, you're going to take it out, you're, you're going to take care of this animal. That's, it's your responsibility. If it's a puppy, you've got to take this thing out and walk it, you've got to train it. And how many of you, that responsibility lasted about three weeks, and then your parents just kind of took over because that's what parents, parents do. How many of you with your first car, you got your first car, and it came along with some instructions? Maybe it was dad who said, okay, you're responsible. You're, you're going to have to get a job so you can put gas in that thing, and you're going to have to pay your own insurance. And when the brakes go bad, we'll go out there, and I'll show you how to change the brakes because that's your responsibility, and you're going to have to change the oil if you own it, you take care of it, right? And then it came the house, the first house you bought. Maybe you went from renting to owning, and you, you thought, well, we're just moving. It's not that big a deal. But owning and renting are very different, aren't they? When you sign your name on that dotted line to buy that house, now all the problems that come along with that house are yours. And you have to start thinking about the future and how are we going to keep this thing maintained and updated and you know, gaining in value rather than depreciating in value. That's what ownership is like. It's, it's this responsibility, it's this weight. It's a great privilege, isn't it? I mean, most of us, if you own a house, you'd rather own than rent because it's yours and you can do whatever you want with it, but it comes along with a great deal of responsibility. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> when you became a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're someone who has, who has said at some point in your life, I, I trust Jesus for my salvation. I believe he's my only hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, did, did that decision come along with some instructions? Did anybody ever say to you, okay, <clears throat> now that you are a Christian, this is your faith. You own it. It's your responsibility. And, and it's up to you to take care of it. It's up to you to maintain it. It's up to you to grow it. It's up to you to produce some fruit through this. It's, it's your faith. You own it. How many of you, when, when you joined a church, if you're a member of this church, if you're part of the Cicero family, how many of you, somebody, somebody talked to you or you, you had a conversation with somebody that said, you, if you're going to be a part of this family, you're, you're going to have ownership in this family. You're, you're going to be responsible. The, the health of this church or the, the, the failure of this church, it's, it's kind of up to you. It's, it depends on how, how much you take responsibility for your role in, in being a part owner of this church family. We're going to dive into Luke chapter 5 today and uh, talk about ownership. If you have a Bible, I hope that you'll 
open that, read along with us, or you can always follow along on the screen or on your smartphone. I don't know what you uh, expected to happen today. Um, probably it's just a Sunday like any other Sunday, and we're going we're gonna to sing some songs, and then this guy's going to talk, and hopefully he won't talk too long, and hopefully he'll tell a funny story that I can share, or hopefully he'll make fun of himself so I feel better about myself, because uh, that usually happens. I get a good response from that. <clears throat> but I have been praying all week that God would move in your heart today. That he would say something to you, whether it's through me or through someone else or through this message or through his spirit at work in you, that God would say something that would challenge you, inspire you, provoke you to make a change. Maybe it's not a big change that you need to make. Maybe you're, you're on track and you're doing pretty well. Maybe it's just a small tweak. But maybe for you it is a big change. And you, you need to start looking at your faith totally differently and your involvement in church totally differently. And I have been praying all week that God would do that in you and for you today. So I don't know what you expected, but I know what I expect. And I really hope that you will follow along with, with me for the next few minutes and open your heart to what God wants to say and do in you. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Please read along with me. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, that is Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their net. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe this is new to you. But something very significant is happening in the life of Peter, referred to in this passage as Simon. We know of Peter. We've heard of Peter. He's one of the 12 disciples, right? And maybe you know he wrote a couple of the letters that we find in our New Testament. Peter is a pretty notable guy. This is a moment of life change for him, when his life goes from pointing in one direction to pointing in a completely different direction. And it happens because he went fishing. Some of you are like, yes, that's, that's the kind of sermon I want. Tell me to go fishing more, right? That, I, I can get behind that. If that's what Christianity is about, let's do that. So Peter was fishing not because it was his hobby, but because it was his job. And he had been fishing all night and caught nothing. So very unfruitful night. You guys know what that's like. If you're a fisherman, fisherwoman, you've done the fishing for hours, come home and caught nothing. For some of you, that's fine. You're like, no big deal. It was relaxing. For others of you, you're like, what's the point? I mean, <laughs> if I'm not going to catch anything, why am I even going out there, Right? Didn't catch anything, and he's doing the hard work now of cleaning the nets and preparing to go out again the next day because this is his livelihood. And this man comes along, 
and says, hey, uh, why don't we go out and, and fish some more? And, and Peter says, well, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of an expert at this. Maybe you're new to this, but I just came from the lake. We went fishing, didn't catch anything. So I'm kind of saying this is probably not a good time for fishing. You guys know, if, you, if you're a fisherman, that you, you know that there are good times for fishing and there are bad times for fishing. And Peter said, this is just not a good time. It's just not, not going to happen. They're not jumping into the nets today. And Jesus said, just, just humor me. Humor me. Let's, let's just go out there anyway. He says, okay, let's go. So they go out, they throw the nets in, and so many fish jump into the nets like they just can't wait to be caught. They're jumping into the nets that they need to call for help. So they're caught, there's just chaos just breaks out in this boat and in, the, in their partner's boat. And they're like, hey, John, you guys got to get over here and help us. And so they, they've got both boats and they're spreading the nets between both boats. And now both boats are starting to sink because there's so many fish. And these fishermen are like, okay, we could, we could drown in the lake or we could swim to shore or we could try to save these fish. We're saving the fish. This is our job. This is our livelihood. This is enough fish to feed our family and pay for our needs for weeks, maybe months. And so they're scrambling around, they're trying to figure, in the middle of all of this, Peter drops down to his knees in front of Jesus and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In this moment, Peter recognizes the holiness of Jesus. He says, you are something different. You are something I have never seen before. I've never encountered anyone like you. I don't even know what to do with someone like you. I just know that I'm not good enough to be in your presence. So, Jesus, I, I, I need you to leave. I, I've got some stuff to deal with here and now, but I need you to go away because I don't deserve to even be in your presence. You're holy, and I am not. And I think what Jesus does here and what he doesn't do is, is fascinating for you and for me. Because I think if you're like me, there, are, there have been times in your life when you've caught glimpses of God's holiness, and you've thought, I'm not good enough. I'm not, he is so far away from me. I, I, it's it's going to be a long and maybe an impossible journey for me to go from where I am to where he is. I just don't think it can happen. And that's where Peter was. And how did Jesus respond? Well, first of all, Jesus did not disagree with Peter. He didn't say, oh, you're not that bad. You know, Peter, you're, compared to most, you're a pretty good guy. You've never killed anybody. You never cheated on your wife. You're not that bad. He didn't do that. He didn't laugh it off. He said, okay, sure, you're a sinner, but who isn't, right? We're not going to let a little thing like sin come between us. Did he say that? Nope. He let Peter's confession just kind of hang there in the air. Yes, you are a sinful man. We all agree. And it's a problem. But it wasn't a barrier that Jesus couldn't overcome. So instead of just ignoring Peter's sin or laughing it off or saying it's not that big a deal, Jesus moves on to the next step. And he says, I want you to follow me. In fact, if you'll follow me, I will teach you something better than fishing for fish. I will teach you how to fish for men. There is a better way for you to live your life. There's something more significant you can devote your life to than fishing for fish. It's fishing for men, and I want to show you how to do that. So how does Peter respond? 
He leaves everything. The largest catch of his life, the greatest fish story he would ever tell. He walks away from it, leaves it on the beach for someone else to claim. Why would he do that? Because Jesus offered him something that he couldn't get anywhere else. Jesus offered him a chance to be fully invested in a work that really matters. What we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is ownership in the mission, in your faith, and in this church family. We're going to talk about being fully invested in the life and work of the Cicero family. If you are a follower of Jesus, you already own the mission. Just like Peter. As soon as Peter left those nets and he began to follow, he became an owner in the mission of Jesus. It was, it was his responsibility. It was going to cost him something. It was going to cost him a lot. Eventually, it was going to cost him his life. But it was also going to come along with rewards and privileges he could not find any other place in his life in any other way. You are an owner in the mission, too, if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe nobody told you. Have you ever discovered something in your home that you are now the owner of and you didn't even realize that this thing existed in your house? And you're like, oh, this is ours? Okay. I, when we moved into our house here in Cicero uh, three years ago, three, three and a half years ago or so, um, every, when we signed on the dotted line, everything that was in the house and on the property became ours, right? So um, looking through the garage, I found this. We'll show you a picture of my the car hood that I found. Just in the garage, up in the rafters. I, I don't know what kind of car it goes to. Anybody? Anybody recognize that? Maybe you're missing one. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just there. I, I didn't know that this was part, this is not why I bought the house. Like, I couldn't wait to get my hands on this hood, so we signed, we, you know, that's not what happened. But I am now the proud owner of a hood to some car that I can't identify. And maybe, maybe the ownership of the mission is like that for you. You signed up to follow Jesus, but really all you wanted was some kind of, uh, some way to deal with the guilt that you felt over your sin. And you thought, okay, if Jesus can pay for my sin, now I don't feel guilty anymore. I'm pretty sure I'm going to heaven. I'm good. And you didn't realize that along with signing on the dotted line for your faith came this mission that you are now the owner of. And no one really told you. No one explained that to you. No one made it clear. So today, maybe you're discovering a car hood in your garage that you didn't know was there. You are now the owner of the mission of Jesus. What does it mean to be fully invested in this mission? Does it mean that you have to do what Peter did? Do you have to leave your job and leave your family and become an evangelist full-time and just go around everywhere and make sure everybody knows that you're a Jesus person and you tell them about Jesus? I don't think that it means that. I think that it means that we recognize that my life now revolves around Jesus. My resources, my family, my free time. It's, it's like this. Imagine that uh, you have some money to invest in, in a stock, right? You're going to buy some stock. And you decide you're going to invest in Lowe's, the hardware store. I feel like I've done that over the last couple weeks. I'll explain later. <clears throat> you, you're going to invest some money. In fact, you're going to take all of the money that you have to invest, and you're going to invest in Lowe's. E every dime of it. You are now fully invested 
in Lowe's. The success of Lowe's is your success, and the failure of Lowe's is your failure. You're just embracing it all. So now, let's say that you need to buy some plumbing parts for your house. Where are you going to go? To Sullivan's? Home Depot? Nope. You're fully invested in Lowe's. You're not going anywhere for anything but Lowe's. In fact, if if someone you know, if you have a neighbor or a family member who needs hardware parts, you're going to call them and say, hey, don't, don't go to, to Sullivan's. Don't go to Home Depot. You have got to go to Lowe's. They, they are the best. You're going to get the best deal, the best service, the best care. You may not even believe all of that, but you're fully invested. You have got to send, you might even start posting things on Facebook about how great Lowe's is because you want everybody to shop at Lowe's because you are fully invested. Now, nobody really does that with their stocks. I understand diversification, and I don't really understand, but I know it's a thing. So I, I know you don't do that, but this is what it means to be fully invested in the mission of God, is that every decision that you make flows out of this commitment to follow Jesus. I am now fully invested in the mission of Jesus. So everything I do as a follower of Jesus flows out of that, how, how I treat people at work, how, how I think about my neighbors, what I spend my time praying about in the mornings, how I handle conflict in my marriage, how I try to raise my kids, where I spend my money, what I do with my free time, all of that flows out of my decision to be fully invested in the mission of Jesus. Maybe that's not the decision you think you made when you said, I just want forgiveness for my sins and a chance to go to heaven, not hell. That's all I really wanted out of this. But you didn't realize that it came along with this mission. And you're invested. You're an owner. Are you fully invested in the life and work of the Cicero family? What, what is the life and work of the Cicero family? Well, it's the same as the life and work of Jesus. What did Jesus invite Peter into? When Jesus said, okay, Peter, I want you to leave everything and follow me, what, did, what was he inviting Peter into exactly? Well, it wasn't some kind of self-help program. It wasn't Jesus saying, Peter, I, I think you can do better. You can be a better person. And if you come with me, I'm going to make you a better person. Did Peter become a better person by being around Jesus? Of course he did. Of course he did. He changed dramatically over the course of the next few years. But that wasn't Jesus' invitation. He, he wasn't inviting Peter into a let's make the world a better place initiative. It wasn't just about social justice, although there was an element of that. In, did, did Peter engage in social justice activities while following Jesus? Of course he did. Feeding the hungry and caring for the poor and healing the sick. Absolutely. But that wasn't what he, followed, he invited Peter into. It wasn't a get rich overnight scheme. It wasn't a get holy um, quick. It wasn't a scheme of any kind. There was one simple objective. We're going to go and fish for men. Not just fish for them. Jesus said, we're going to catch them. We're going to catch them. And what did he mean by that? Jesus was aware that there were people all around Peter who had no idea that there was a way to be close to God. People had the same experience that Peter had when he was on that boat with all the chaos happening and all the fish jumping into the nets and boats are sinking and people are screaming. And in that moment, Peter looks at Jesus and goes, I, I am so far away from you. You're, you're like nothing I've ever encountered. And I'm so sinful. We can't even be in the same boat together. You've got to leave. Everyone has had that experience. And Jesus said, looked around and he said, there, there are so many people who have no idea that there is a way to close that gap. 
There is a way for sinful people to be in relationship with a holy God. And we're going to tell them. That's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, let's go catch men instead of fish. We're, we're going to make sure that everyone knows that yes, you're sinful, and yes, God is holy, but that doesn't mean you can't be together. Jesus made a way. That's what he meant. And that's what we're about. That's the life and work of the Cicero fam. We believe, I believe like Peter, I am a sinful man. And when I look at Jesus and God and who, how holy he is, I have no business being in a relationship with him. I want it really badly, but I can't get there on my own. But Jesus made a way for me. He died for my sins so that I can be in relationship with God. I can live the life I was created to live. And I want everyone to know that. I look around at our community and I know that there are so many people around us who have no idea. They either don't know they're sinful or they don't know God is holy or they do know both of those things and they think they can't be together. And our job, the mission is to confirm, to verify with people, yes, you're sinful and yes, God is holy and yes, you can be together. That's the mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing for people. And to be fully invested in this mission is, is to be fully invested in the life and work of this church. The life and work of this church is not about making this a bigger church. Although I believe if we do our jobs right, we will grow. The, the life and work of this church is not about having a beautiful building, although you can see we're investing money and in making sure that this building is up to date and beautiful and a good environment for people. But that's not what we're here for. The reason we're here is so that everyone around us will know that there is a way to be with God, and it's through Jesus, and he's the only way. And so when you become a part of the Cicero family, we ask you to sign a membership agreement. It looks like this. We'll show you a picture of it. Maybe you can't read all that, but if that doesn't look familiar to you, and you're pretty sure you're part of the Cicero family, maybe you should shoot me an email later and say, hey, I think I'm a member, but I've never seen that, so can we talk? Because sometimes things fall through the cracks, but I, I want you to know that this is, this is what we do. We ask people to sign on to this um, agreement that says we're, there's mutual accountability here. We're all on the same team, and we're going to work toward the same purpose, and here's how we say the mission here, inviting people to life with Jesus. This is our version of exactly what Jesus invited Peter into. We're going to go catch men from now on. We're not going to just fish for fish. And, and my hope and prayer for you in 2019 is that you begin to own this mission and own your role in this church family. Ownership is about personally investing your resources. It's about taking responsibility for the success and failure. And ownership is about making the most of every opportunity. So I want to give you just one a tool, one handle that you can put on this for today so that you can begin to take steps in owning the mission. And maybe this is something you already do. I, actually, I hope it is, but I'm going to ask you to pray for one. I've said this uh, once or twice in the past. Maybe recommended it at some point. But here's why I believe so strongly in pray for one. I believe because it is, it is us owning the mission. It's a, it's a statement of ownership. It's a statement of responsibility. God, I believe that you have done something for me that I could not have done for myself. You've changed me in a way that I desperately needed and had no shot at without you. And I want everyone to know it. So God, give me, put one person in my path today that I can point to Jesus through my words and actions. Give me one. Put one person in my path today that I can point to Jesus through my words and actions. There's been some hesitation on this because I think some people hear that and they say, well, that means I have to preach to every person I meet. Every time I run into somebody, I've got to say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? 
Are you going to heaven or hell when you die? That's not what Pray for One is about. It's not about quoting Bible verses at awkward times or policing other people's behavior. That's not what Pray for One is about. It's about living with an awareness that God is actively pursuing every lost person. God is already pursuing them, and he's invited you to participate in this. Jesus was already fishing for men before Peter ever came along, but he invited Peter to fish along with him. And praying for one is about saying yes to God's invitation to join him in showing love and grace to people who don't know Jesus. Praying for one is owning the mission. I believe that Peter would be a fan of Pray for One. He wrote a letter. I mentioned this before. He wrote a letter to the believers later in his life. And in his letter, in his first letter, uh, in chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Can you hear Peter as he says, In your hearts, remember to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And I wonder if Peter's not flashing back to that moment in the boat when chaos is breaking out, when fish are jumping into the nets, and he looks at this man and says, you're something different. You're something else. I have never encountered anyone like you before. Peter says, don't lose that. Don't lose that sense of awe at the, at the presence and the identity of Jesus because that is what is going to drive your lifestyle, your ownership of the mission. As long as you recognize that Jesus is holy and everyone needs a relationship with Jesus, every life is better with Jesus at the center. Every family is better with Jesus at the center. Every community is better with Jesus at the center. Every nation is better with Jesus at the center. And as long as you honor Christ the Lord as holy, you're going to get a chance. You're going to get a chance. People are going to ask you, why? Why do you have so much hope? Why, why do you live positively in a negative culture? Why do you live hopeful in a despairing world? And when they ask you, you need to be ready. That's what praying for one is about, just being ready. Whenever the opportunity strikes, honor Christ as holy in your heart and live as though Christ is holy in your life. And people will ask and you'll get opportunities. I, I've been doing this for a couple years now, praying for one. And it's, it's amazing what, what God has done in my life through this. I, I have four men in my life that I consider friends um, that I didn't know three years ago. None of them know Jesus as their Savior. And the relationship that I have with them, the, the, the way that I talk to them, the things that we do together, the conversations that we have, are all, all designed on my part to point them to Jesus, to show them that, that I'm, I'm no different from them, that I'm a sinner just like them, and that I believe that I can have a relationship with a holy God. That, that's the whole point of our relationship. And I believe that God is moving these men closer and closer to Jesus every day. Is that because of me? Or is that because of the power of God's spirit? Or is that a combination of me saying yes to something God was already doing? God was already pursuing these men long before I came along. But he invited me to join him in pursuing these men to help them see Jesus for who he really is. And... I want that for you. I want, I want those opportunities for you, for you to have those, those relationships where you go, God, God is actually using me, me. Like who would have thought God is using me to show someone the love and grace of Jesus? I never would have thought it. I never would have believed it possible. I want that for you. And I believe it's there for the taking. I believe that Jesus is inviting you just like he invited Peter. 
Listen, I don't know what your life has been about before. I don't know what has been the driver of your decisions up until this point. But what if you just jump in with me and we go fish for people together? What if we do that? Can you think of anything better to give your life to? I'm going to invite you to pray for one with me. Would you stand? We're going to put that phrase back on the screen, um, the pray for one prayer. And you don't have to say it in these words when you do this um, in your, you know, prayer time or whatever. But if we can go back to the one that, that says the pray for one. God put one person in my path. Well, we don't have that. I'll just, why don't you just repeat after me? Why don't we do that? Just a little audience participation. And listen, if, if, you're, not, if you're not sincere about this, I, I don't know the difference. That's between you and God, okay? I have no idea if, if you mean this when you say it or if you really hope that God does or you really hope that he doesn't. I don't know. This is between you and him. I just want, I just want you to start to build this habit. So you, you got to start somewhere. If you're not doing this regularly already, I just invite you to do this along with me today. Would you just um, repeat after me? Dear God, put one person in my path today that I can point to Jesus with my words and actions. Give me one. Amen. You can be seated. We're, we're going to um, celebrate communion this morning because what Jesus did for us on the cross is the center point of our inspiration to pray for one and to actually live that out. We recognize that we are sinful people, that we, we do not live the life that we are created to live. We do not reflect the nature and character of God in all our thoughts and words and actions. We don't. And we recognize that God is holy, that he is so far beyond and above us that everything he does is right, everything he does is wise, everything he does is good. And we think, how can, how can, how can this and this be together? How can sinfulness in me and holiness of God be together? One way, Jesus sacrificed his perfect life. He shed his blood, allowed his body to be broken so that our sins would be forgiven. We could be adopted as children into the family of God. And we, sinful people, can be purified and have a relationship with our Creator. This, this is why it's all possible. And we celebrate this every Sunday. So this morning, as we take the bread and the juice, just take a moment as you hold on to that and thank God for making it possible for you, a sinful person, to not just, not just be acquainted with, but to have a, a father-child relationship with a holy God. Jesus made it possible. So let's thank him for that this morning. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We know that he is our only hope. And we know that the, the privilege of being adopted into your family is something we couldn't get anywhere else. We couldn't have done it for ourselves. We're just grateful. So I pray that as we take this time to acknowledge the death of Jesus on our behalf, that you'll be pleased with what happens in our hearts and that you'll fill us up with your spirit. In his name we pray, amen.